0: Hi, this is Kimberly Espinel from Eat, Capture, Share, and you are listening to the Eat Blog Talk podcast.
1: Hey, food bloggers, are you ready to accomplish your 2023 goals faster than you ever thought possible? If you are nodding your head yes right now, the Eat Blog Talk Mastermind program might be a great fit for you. We are now accepting applications for 2023, and I will let you in on a little secret. If you sign up before the end of November 2022, you can lock in at the current pricing. Go to eblogtalk.com forward slash mastermind for more information and to apply. Here is a current mastermind member, Carrie from talkingmeals.com, telling you why you should consider joining the mastermind in 2023.
0: You know, I just would tell people to take the leap because the
1: motivation. And the support that I've gotten from the women in the group has been invaluable and has just re-energized me. But run the numbers, you know, because I think if anybody actually took the time to just take the price tag out of their head, but put it on paper and look at, you know, when they could get a return on that investment, they would see that it's not such a crazy number, at least if that was their hold back. And if their holdback was just you know, the fear factor of it, then again, it's that if you don't put yourself out there, you're never going to grow. You have to get uncomfortable. If we stay comfortable, then we're never going to change. Hey, food bloggers. Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, the podcast for food bloggers looking for the value and confidence that will move the needle forward in their businesses. This episode is sponsored by Rank IQ. I am your host, Megan Porta, and you are listening to episode number 360. I have Kimberly Espinel with me today. She is going to talk to us about five photography styling tips, plus how to find your own unique visual identity. Kimberly Espinel is an award-winning food photographer, best-selling author, educator, and creative business mentor. She runs a thriving food photography business and has created content for many beautiful brands, including Sony, KitchenAid. Otto Lange, and more. In her podcast, Eat, Capture, Share, Kimberly focuses on empowering food bloggers, food photographers, and food content creators to develop their skills, find their unique style, grow their audience online, and build the creative business of their dreams. Kimberly, it is such a pleasure to have you here today. How are you doing?
0: I'm well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very, very excited for our chat today.
1: Me too. Before we dig into your amazing photography styling value that you have to share with us, we want to hear if you have a fun fact to share.
0: Yes. So I'm a really, really avid yoga practitioner. I've been practicing for, I think, 15 years now or something. And my most fun fact is that handstand is my most favorite yoga posture ever.
1: Oh, I love that. Fifteen years, that's a long time. Yeah. That's <laughs> so it must be just like built into your daily life and your routine.
0: Yes and no. Like I feel it's kind of like marriage. You have to like <laughs> wake
1: up every day and be make a, a renewed commitment to it if you know what
0: I mean. Be intentional
1: so, about it, yes.
0: <laughs> yes, that's that's really how it is.
1: Oh, that's so cool. Thank you for sharing that. So you are here to share about styling tips, photography tips, and how to capture a visual identity, which I think is a really important element of food blogging. Would you mind starting with your background? Just tell us a little bit about how you got into food photography and styling.
0: Yeah. So my journey was a little bit um, long-winded, as it were, but I started because I gave birth to my son. I was a social worker. I worked in adoption for many, many years. And then when I gave birth to my son, it really threw everything on its head, and I was like, I can't... Just like a nine to five doesn't really feel right anymore. I'd love to do something that I can do from the comfort of my own home and on my own schedule and, you know, that kind of thing. And so I actually decided to retrain as a nutritional therapist. And in doing so, you know, I had this kind of aha moment. I was like, okay, so now I'm studying this for three years. And then when I graduate, like, how am I going to find clients? No one's going to know who I am. So with that, I decided to start a food blog. And I'd never owned a camera. I'd never. I didn't know what a DSLR even was what it stood for but when I picked up the camera to photograph my very first recipe like something something just awoke in me I was like oh my god like this this is it you know like this is what brings me joy this is what I love so I completed my course but by the time I finished I was you know you know, knee deep into the food blogging world, into the photography world. And I never actually practiced as a nutritional therapist. And, you know, thank goodness, by the time I graduated, I was already earning, you know, a good income from my blog and that kind of thing. So that's really how it all started.
1: That's so cool. I love that you said when you picked up the camera, you just knew, like something switched. I think that there are elements of food blogging that all of us feel that about, just whether it's photography or video or writing or whatever, but you just knew. so how did it how quickly did your
0: food photography journey evolve? So can I just say one more thing about what you yeah. just said because I mm-hmm. think this is such an important point. Because I think about this a lot, right? Like from adoption social worker, suddenly I'm doing this other thing. But I think what it is, is that I, I really believe that we're all creative beings. Like we were all put on this earth to create something like with this, you know, it's innate in us. That's how we got to evolve the way that we have. And I think once we tap into that, be it through cooking, through writing, photography, video, it's like speaks to us really deep in our core. And so, you know, that's why I also think when people start pottery classes or, you know, salsa classes, it's that creative element that really like it gets, you know, reawakened, so to say. But as for my food photography journey, like what was really interesting is with the food blog, people were interested in my recipes, but the questions and also when I looked at my blog stats the content that resonated the most was always around food photography and styling Mm. so it's just like okay wait a minute so if I write about food photography I get whatever 10,000 monthly blog hits and if I write about a cake recipe it's more like 2,000 you know like ding 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 so then I really kind of leaned into that and then yeah, I got um, people asked me to teach them and I also got work as a food stylist and as a photographer much more so than I did, you know, in my role as a food blogger. So that's kind of how, how that all kind of took took that turn as it were.
1: Oh, that's amazing. And I love that too that you mentioned the creativity. Yes, we are all creative. And it's so magic when we tap into those things that just speak to us individually, right? So just being aware of that. And then when you hear that call to follow it, I think that's really important piece of food blogging as well. Yes. Okay. So you have five tips to help photographers and bloggers find their style. Would you mind talking through
0: those? Yes, of course. So I often get this question, like, how do I find my style? How do I stand out? I think a lot of food bloggers and photographers think it's one thing that's going to make them, you know, their images and their, recipes look totally different, but I think it's actually like accumulation of lots of little things. And the first one I would say is about how you work with light and shadow. And so it's not just about, you know, understanding how light and shadow works, but it's thinking about how you, you know, whether you like a lot of contrast your light and shadow whether you like flat to flatten your images by using say bounce boards whether you use artificial light natural light what direction the light comes at. so backlight side light like all those little nuances is really especially in photography really how you start building your signature look so for me for example i love working with backlight. i love working with natural light and i love quite a lot of drama so really d- deep rich shadows so that's really part of what creates my own look so that would be my tip number one is to think about how you work with light and shadow and to understand if you are using reflectors and bounce boards what exactly you're doing with your light and how that's shaping your style and your look. The second one is color theory. And I think when we start as photographers, we... You know, there's so much to wrap our heads around and especially also as food bloggers, we have to create recipes and figure out Pinterest and SEO, like there's so much. And so I think color theory is often one that gets left by the wayside. But actually, if you want to create something that's different and unique and uniquely yours, you really need to understand how you work with color. And that consists of lots of different parts. So the first one is what color temperature is you? You know, are you, do you love those cooler tones? Do you love warmer tones? Have you not looked at that at all? And are you all over the shop with that? So that would be the first piece of color theory. The second one is how you combine colors. And the truth is, I think without realizing it, we gravitate towards a certain way of combining colors. So for me, I love working with analogous colors. That's just me, <laughs> you know, but I think, again, sometimes people, you know, they just throw spaghetti at the see with sticks rather than being really intentional about how am I going to combine the colors? How going to choose my props, my backdrops, that kind of thing to really create a color look my own and then also see if there's a color that tends to dominate in your work and if not is there a way that you can start working towards having a color that defines you a set of colors that really define you and a little side note I know we'll get to this later but I think one mistake perhaps that's a lot of food bloggers make is that they think that creating a color look means shooting just on white or white marble or gray and, you know, just doing that when actually it really limits your understanding, your ability to play with color and your ability to create a look all your own and stand out because the white backdrop is kind of the easy option. And so many people are doing that. So it's really, really hard with that look to stand out. And then the third one is editing. So, you know, what I notice again, when especially food bloggers and food photographers just starting out, they try a lot of different things. So they go into Lightroom and they're like, I think I'm going to move this here. I'm going to move this here and see, you know, like see what works. When, like everything I've mentioned before, you know, all of those things take a lot of thought. And then what's really important is to start I Recognizing patterns in yourself, and then see perhaps that if there's something that you're always doing to capture that in your very own preset, or you can buy a preset and then rejig it to your own, you know, liking and style. But that editing part is really like where your look completely and totally comes together.
1: I was just going to ask you about that. So, do you have presets that you use pretty standardly throughout all of your? editing process or do you create new presets
0: as you go? No. So I have like maybe, which I also sell by the way. So if anyone's (laughs) needing uh, food photography presets, you know where to look, but I have like a handful. So some that I use for my dark and moody images, maybe about five and then equally five for my lighter shots. And then what I do is that I have certain settings within my presets that are always consistent so one of those like for example a key color for me because I'm a plant-based food blogger is green like green is really a key color in my photography in my Brands and all I do. So, that the way I edit greens is pretty much consistent through all my presets. So, even though I might throw on something different, like that color, the way I work with that color is always the same. So, it means that if people see my photo and it contains green, like they'll instantly know that it's me. And so, that would be my recommendation to not go wild and have like 30 presets and totally confuse yourself, but have like a core set. And have some consistency within that. And then, you know, I think sometimes what people think is you pop on a preset and you're off to the races. But actually, the preset is just the beginning and it does the heavy lifting. And then you go in to fine tune with your brush, you know, like you, you just pull out. And there's things like temperature, especially if you're working with natural light that, you know, you cannot have that consistent in the preset because the light's constantly changing, right? So you have to adjust that and just fine tune everything.
1: I love that. That's a, such a great answer. I love what you said about presets do the heavy lifting. I think that we can rely on that just to do the necessities, and then we can tweak as we need. And then, can we back up? I just have one question about color theory before you move on to your fourth point. So, if we do have colors that we gravitate toward, like I do have this set of colors that I tend to pull off my prop shelf and my placemats. Do you feel like we should stick to those? Or do you feel like it's okay to branch out? Like, oh gosh, I always use this purple. I should maybe start using something else. Or do we just go to what we gravitate toward?
0: Yeah. So I think we don't want to become a slave to our style. We don't want to pigeonhole ourselves. And we need to give ourselves the space to evolve, right? But if you know that that purple plate is just feels like Coming home, you know. Then -hmm. what you can start doing as you grow in your food photography business, in your food blogging business, is look for plates that have are in a a similar color family. So maybe a lighter shade, a different shape, uh, maybe with borders or something that's adjacent to that purple, like a dark pink. Or do you know what I mean? So that you are still staying true to the essence, the thing that you're moving towards, but fanning out a little bit you know what I mean like expanding expanding and then also you know like I think it's also okay to get a little tired of a certain look (laughs) and move slightly away from it and and explore and then see if through your editing for example or through your color combining you can still keep that you know whatever makes Megan Megan you know to have that red thread pull through your images, even as you move away from that purple. Make sense?
1: Yes. I absolutely love that answer. So not going like completely opposite of what you're used to, but just like veering a little bit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what is your fourth tip? My fourth and fifth one, I'm going to pull together if I may. So I think, again, I don't know quite where your listeners sit, if they're beginners or really further along in their journey, but what I notice is when we first start on our food photography journey we're all about what camera should I buy what artificial light do I need you know how does how do these camera settings work and I think we get really stuck in that almost that technical and the thing is with the technical there's one answer right like if I want an exposure triangle to be perfect like I've got three things to play with until it's right and that is pretty much it like it's a finite number of options and so it feels I think quite safe to kind of untangle that technical part and then what happens is we kind of lose sight of the much bigger piece which is the creative side which is around food styling and composition and unlike our camera settings unlike what camera we're going to buy what lens we're going to purchase you know the food styling there's a finite An infinite, you know, number of options. And that's, I think, where a lot of food bloggers let themselves down. And not just that, where they, especially if your blog is, you know, very, very niche, like you have a gluten-free baking blog or something like that, where you're creating and food styling and composing everything always pretty much the same you know versus expanding your food styling and composition skills but i think being able to do that and being more versatile will also mean that when you come back to what is your style and what you do you're going to be able to just create a look that's a little bit more unique Versus the cookie stack, you know, that everybody does (laughs) with the middle class next to it, right? Like you want to have explored food styling and composition a little bit wider to bring whatever you've learned from that process back to your cookie stack and think outside the box. Does that make sense?
1: Yes, that makes sense. I feel like that's kind of top level, right? So like the other (laughs) ones are like really straightforward, but that one's like, I need to process that one a little bit, but yeah.
0: Yeah, so I think what we don't want to do with our food styling composition is get stuck in our comfort zone, right? Like always fall back on the same thing because the same thing is what probably everybody else is doing, right? Like we want to create something that's a little bit more special. And the way we do that is by not just doing the cookie stack, but also other types of food styling, taking what we've learned from that and bringing that to the cookie stack to look at that from a from a different
1: angle in a different way. Hello there, jumping in for a quick break to talk about rank IQ. I love this keyword research tool and you've heard me talk about how much it has helped me to grow my own traffic on my food blog Pip and Ebby. Right now, I'm going to talk about one of the reasons I love this tool so much, which is how fast I can kick out a post compared to my pre-rank IQ days. Why is it faster, you might be asking? Number one, I don't do as much searching and waffling on the front end of deciding on a keyword, so I dig into the writing portion really quickly and with laser focus. Number two, I dive into each post with confidence because each keyword has been handpicked by Brandon himself. With other tools, I approach each keyword tentatively because I really don't know how it will perform form or whether it's going to produce a fruitful crop of traffic for me. Number three, the RankIQ Optimizer is my favorite optimizer and it provides very specific recommendations about content to include inside each post. This makes the writing process go really smoothly as the optimizer acts as my guide, leading the way to a comprehensively written post. Go to rankiq.com to sign up and check it out for yourself. Now back to the episode. So can you talk through an example? Like if you were looking at a photo of the cookie stack, for
0: Mm -hmm. example,
1: how would you look around that to make it more unique? Would you pull out a few certain elements and try to change that up, change colors? Like what would you do exactly with the cookie stack to make it you
0: yeah, like I would, for example, see, do I even want to do the cookie stack, or is there a different way for me to photograph that? Because it's been done, so it's so hard to do that differently. I probably look at maybe layering my photos, so maybe having something in the foreground that's a little bit blurred, and then having my cookie stack and something in the background, and maybe doing something cheeky with my milk glass, like having a slash in it, you know, and capturing that, so just something a little bit different, so that. You know, when my image pops up on, on Pinterest next to all the other cookie stacks, it just looks like there's more of a story. There's more attention to detail. There's something There's something more exciting about it. More of
1: a story. I think that's where it comes down to, right? You want to create a story with your styling. And when you just throw a stack up that you're not necessarily thinking through, there may not be a story related to it.
0: Yes. And I also think like, you know, how you compose that shot, you know, so when we have our cookie stack and say the milk glass, you know, is there anything else that we can do in terms of our composition that would make it more interesting? Like having, I don't know, like, you know how you can put like flowers or something like that in the foreground and then it's a little bit blurred and then it's like you're looking through it and you see the cookies, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah, just being a little bit more creative with our, with the way we style it and, and you compose see- it.
1: You said the word detail earlier and I think mm-hmm. that's a an important piece of it too, just taking the time to be more detailed about the way you style your scene and your story.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. While still keeping, you know, the focus on the you know, beautiful recipe that you've created. So it's not easy, but I think that's where you stand out. That's where you create your look. That's where you become unique.
1: How much time do you recommend spending on this? Because I can go for a long time if I'm like, <laughs> okay, I'm going to make this the perfect styled scene. I mean, I can lose myself in my day. So do we give ourselves a time limit? How do you recommend going about that?
0: So I think it's really individual. If you know you have to pass through three recipes in a day, then, you know, then maybe that's not possible. But if you, you know, if you don't post five times a week or something like that, and you have more space to be creative, then I would say go for it. Also, sometimes, you know, I think it's really lovely to do like a food photography course or a food photography retreat, or something that takes you away where you're not under time pressure or don't have to like finish that shop before the kids come home or something like that where you just don't have that mental space. And sometimes we can only do that when we're, you know, outside of, you know, our, our little studio and our mind and, you know, and where we're in a space where we're allowed to let our creativity shine.
1: Yeah, that is such a great recommendation. Just finding a really good retreat. And there are quite a few of those. I think more and more of those pop up with each passing year. So just find something that would get you out of your home so you don't have the kids and the messy kitchen to worry about, right? (laughs) Exactly, exactly,
0: exactly.
1: Okay, were there any other things you wanted to mention about those five tips?
0: I mean, I have to say, I think if you, those five, if you work on each of them, you will see a difference in your photography and you will give yourself the space to to fine tune your unique style and look for sure.
1: Okay, cool. So what mistakes should we avoid as we are getting into learning food photography?
0: So I think it's wonderful to use Pinterest and Instagram and whatever TikTok as a source of inspiration, especially when we're first starting out. But I think two things. One is when we're constantly, you know, in this digital world, it's like, we don't really give ourselves and our creativity enough space to to kind of be, you know, like this yeah. constant bombardment of con- content and then comparison sets in and all those things. So I think it's really good to also find sources of inspiration that don't involve the screen. And that's number one. And I think the other, if I may <laughs> give two, the other one is I think it's wonderful to see a photo because that's how I started, right? Like I see a photo, I'm like, oh my God, I love that. I want to try and do something exactly like it. And then, you know, step by step, we copy the other person. And I think it is a very normal part of the creative process, especially if you're starting something completely new. But there also has to come a time where, You kind of cut the umbilical cord, so to say, and move away from what other people are doing to really, you know, delve deeper into your very own stuff. And I think that means rather than looking out, it means looking in and spending time like you were just describing with, say, the cookie stack where really for an hour or so you're just in the moment doing your own thing without referring back to that shot you saw on Instagram. So those are my two two tips. One is just moving away from screens and not relying on it solely as your source of inspiration. And two, moving from copying to really creating something uniquely yours.
1: There is such a balance there though, because I'm often inspired by other people's amazing, creative, beautiful photos. So if I have one of those photos in my mind, I mean, how and I want to recreate it, what do you recommend? Just kind of rewriting it or like erasing it from my mind and rewriting it the, is, the whole scene? I mean, that
0: is, it's such a hard balance. It's like. such a hard balance. And I'm going to let you know a little secret. I did a podcast episode about copycats and it is, I think, in my top five of most listened oh. to episodes and also the one that got the most response because people feel really... So some people feel, and I, I'm kind of, I'm in that, that camp a little bit, where nothing is unique, you know, like everything yeah. has a source from somewhere. Like, and then other people feel like, actually, if you quote unquote copy something, you need to credit your source, mm-hmm. you know. And and the truth is, many of us are inspired by lots of different people. So what I would say is, I, I do think crediting is amazing. I also think what's really helpful is if you aren't inspired just by one or two creators, but really expand the type of content we're consuming so that you don't fall into it. And and I also think like we're all a community, like we, we're all in this together, you know, like I, I think like, if somebody quote unquote, copies me, I always think it's like I think it's flattering. I think yeah. it's wonderful. So maybe we're a little bit precious about it. But I think, yeah, <laughs> the best thing to do is is to credit your source where you can and to just to watch yourself to make sure that you know it is a very fine line that you stay on the right side of that line
1: and sometimes, I know I've done this, especially when I was first starting food blogging and photography. Sometimes. I would maybe mimic a style of somebody else's, but not even know I was doing it because I just loved it. So then I would start like, oh, I really like how they did the lighting or I really liked that pop of color in the background. So it's something, there's so many blurry lines there because it's like, it is my own unique take on the scene
0: I do think like a core thing is, you know, I'm just going to use Instagram because that's the platform I know the best and I spend the most time on. But what I try and do is I try and follow lots of different creatives who have Mm -hmm. very different styles to my own. And then there will be, say, a light setup where I'm like, oh, my God, that was so cool. And then I saw someone else play with colors in a really funky way. I'm like, oh, my God, what if I put those two things together? And then combine it with, you know, my greens and my editing style and my way of food styling to mash it up into something totally different. And I think that's my way of of trying to avoid copying too much as it were, you know, like giving everything a little spin.
1: Why do you think it matters that we each do find our own style?
0: I think it matters because it makes us more... It makes it more interesting for brands to work with us. And I'm also speaking now as a food photographer, right? So I think when we have our own look, it makes us more desirable to hires. We can command higher fees as food photographers as well. If we have a look that's distinct and unique and different. I think also, you know, we want to stand out. Let's be real, like the food blogging space is crowded. There are so many food blogs. There's so many recipes. We want to have a way of, you know, standing out from the crowd and having your unique style is the best way to achieve that.
1: What are a few elements that can make us stand out to have our own unique style? So I can think of lighting, colors we mentioned, maybe like the way that you blurred the foreground or background, like what are some other things that I'm not thinking about?
0: Yeah, for sure. The way that you work with your camera and things like that. Although I would argue that hopefully you you are versatile, so you're not only doing flat lays or not only, you know, shooting at 1.8 with a blurry background. Like hopefully, your your um, portfolio and your blog has shots, lots. Lots of those kind of different shots in it to keep it fresh and exciting and interesting for viewers to see. But I really think if I had to, out of all the five that I mentioned, kind of nail it down to one, I think color theory and the way you work with colors, that's going to be like a core, core element of uh, standing out. And then, of course, your recipes as well, right? Like how you create dishes how you come up with your recipes like how that is different unique special better quicker like all those things that also translates into a photo and translates into something that's different and unique like we all have our most favorite food lovers that we go to not just because their photography is inspiring but because their recipes work and, you know, we, we love the taste and it's just something about their recipe that's different and better. And so I, I I think that's also a really essential part.
1: And how things are plated too, right? So how food appears on the plate can be part of the style as well, don't you think? Totally. Yeah, that's the food styling
0: that I mentioned before, mm-hmm, for sure.
1: Someone I had on the podcast a long time ago, a couple of years ago, it was a food photographer. And I just remember her talking about color theory and how she liked to go on the color wheel and choose opposite colors which i thought was so brilliant and i never think to do that but after she mentioned it i started doing that and oh my gosh it's amazing how my photography just started popping because those colors really do complement each other so i thought that was a really fun little tip
0: do you know what's really interesting the the reason so that's not how i you know remember i was saying that for me I really work with analogous colors, which are the colors that are next to each other, because it's very, I find it very soothing and very calming and very elegant. And so when you work with opposite colors, the way you describe complementary colors, the reason it really pops is twofold. One is you're working with a color on the warm side of the color wheel and on the cool side of the color wheel and by doing that you're introducing an extra layer of contrast into your images so that's why you know people who color combine like that their images are really poppy they really stand out they really bright because you have these two opposing colors that because they're warm and cool, you know, they bring in all this added contrast that you don't get if you work with complementary colors or analogous colors. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of why. Yeah.
1: So interesting that people gravitate toward different color combos and where they are located on the color wheel. But I would have to say, probably most of us don't think about the color wheel. We just are gravitating towards something we prefer and don't consider that there is a color wheel and that you know, I don't know, we have like a style like you do. Okay, what are some things, Kimberly, that you think can hold us back from finding our style? So you mentioned screens, looking too much for just inspiration elsewhere. What else?
0: I also think, and this might sound really weird, but I also think there's an element of fear. So where you know, where we see someone do something like, again, I'm going to use the the Marvel backdrop as an example, because it's so popular. And so it feels very safe and secure to do that as well, because if everyone's doing it, then it's got to be okay. Versus like actually listening to how we genuinely, fully want to express ourselves creatively. And that's a little scary to do something that's different than what everybody else is doing. But I think that's another thing, like fear, self-doubt, those kind of things also really hold us back.
1: That is something that can apply across the board to pretty much everything in our world, right? Not just photography, but... hundred percent. Yeah. That fear is is can be a killer of our creativity and our business and so many things. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. Is there anything we've forgotten that you think is important for people just looking to hone in on their
0: style and their visual identity? The only thing I'd like to maybe point out is that one of the things I didn't mention is anything to do with how good your camera is or you know how many lenses you got or how much money you spent on lighting like I don't think any of those things are in any way important. Of course it helps if you've got the latest state of the art camera and of course it helps if you have beautiful lenses, but they're not what's going to allow you to stand out and, you know, set yourself apart from everybody else. So I just wanted to stress that.
1: Oh, great point to make because I think we can all get to that point where we feel like, oh I need better, I need to upgrade, I need a better lens but camera phones are so good these days and really like I have this. Yeah, shockingly (laughs) good. I have this little tiny lens that cost me under $100 even like five, seven years ago. It is an amazing lens. Nobody would ever know that it was so affordable. So just get started with what you have, right? Exactly. 100%. So good to hear that from you, from someone who. Really has an eye for photography. So, thank you, Kimberly. This was so fun. What a great chat today. I think this is super valuable information.
0: Thank you so, so much, Megan. I hope it was and um, really appreciate you having me on the show.
1: Oh my gosh, so great. Do you have either a favorite quote, Kimberly, or words of inspiration to leave us with today?
0: Yes, I would say this is the one I say to myself and it helps me. So, (laughs) I hope it helps your listeners too. And it is, You are stronger than you think.
1: Ooh short and powerful, right? Oh. <laughs> Love that. We're going to put together show notes for you, Kimberly. So if anyone wants to go look at those, you can go to eatblogtalk.com forward slash eat, capture, share. Kimberly, tell everyone where they can find you, mention your blog, your podcast, yep. and anywhere else you want people to go.
0: Yes. So if you want to dig deeper into food photography and really nail your very own food photography style, what I would recommend is to get a copy of my book called Creative Food Photography. You can find me on Instagram where I am, The Little Plantation, which is also the name of my blog. And then you can tune into my podcast, which is Eat, Capture, Share, a podcast for food lovers.
1: Everyone, go check out all of those things Kimberly mentioned. Thanks again, Kimberly, for your time today. And thank you so much for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Eat Blog Talk. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful if you posted it to your social media feed and stories. I will see you next time.